Welcome to the Love Reimagined Podcast. If you're tired of hearing about a God who is supposedly represented perfectly through Jesus, but is less kind than you, your grandma, and even Hitler, this podcast is for you. We welcome you to join Joe Chadburn, that's me, and friends as we reimagine Father through the perfect lens of Christ. Now, we occasionally tip a few sacred cows, but be assured that no members of the bovine species were harmed during the recording of this episode you are about to enjoy. Hey friends, I'm here with Keith Giles today. Keith is a former pastor who abandoned the pulpit to follow Jesus and ended up founding a church where 100% of the offering is given away to help the poor in the community. He's the author of several best-selling books, including Jesus Untangled, Jesus Unbound, and Jesus Unveiled. He lives with his wife, Wendy, in El Paso, Texas, and currently serves as the program director for Peace Catalyst International in the great state of Texas. Welcome, Keith. Hey, Joe, thank you so much. It's uh, excited to have this conversation. Yes, sir. I'm looking forward to digging into this. This is actually a follow-up that I'm doing for last week's uh, Love Reimagined podcast. It was all about God's mercy. Does it endure forever or until you die? And I have a few questions that I'd like to get some feedback from you uh, about. So I, we're going to get rolling here. Good. Now, I had a nagging dilemma. It started back in 1987. I had a wonderful Jesus encounter uh, in the middle of the Persian Gulf. And this, this included a divine visitation. It was a very miraculous thing, which I'm not going to get into right now. And uh, the first church that, uh, that I ever attended, and, and the people that first sort of introduced me to this Jesus experience, uh, were typical Western evangelicals. So the, one of the first gentlemen that I ever called pastor, uh, something was really bothering me, and I went to him, and I said, what happens to all of these, quote, unreached people? Like, you know, an adolescent in the jungle, you know, an aborigine somewhere, who's never even heard the name of Jesus. And he basically, you know, told me, well, they're, they're going to suffer eternal conscious torment unless a Western missionary, you know, the great white hope or, or, or somebody, some indigenous person somehow reaches them with, uh, with the gospel or his, his, you know, understanding of the gospel. He also threw out some things about, you know, the age of accountability theory which is a little less cruel, but uh, unsubstantiated nevertheless. And, uh, you know, so I wondered about things like that, about Holocaust victims, you know. I mean, did God one-up Hitler with every non-Christian Jew? What about suicide victims? What about a young girl who's been, you know, abused and raped? And then, you know, she thought antidepressants and, you know, a side effect, you know, ends up, you know, causing her to take her own life. I mean, does Jesus just say, hey, Girl, you know, fry in your own fat, you know, your bad, your decision. You know, so, so these are things I had to, you know, I, I had to come to terms with these. And I have, uh, put it this way, my conclusion about the matter has evolved greatly over the last several years, you know, especially. I would always, you know, try to just poo-poo over things. And, well, you know, people really don't, you know, God doesn't really send people to hell. They send themselves or... You know, well, God is just, and you know, and it just, but it just never made sense to me that uh, God had preordained, you know, just billions of people 
to suffer eternal conscious torment when only those who, you know, said the special prayer, you know, um, you know, made it in, who checked all, you know, checked all the boxes. So what is your take on that? If I came to you uh, over 30 years ago and, and I said, hey, Pastor Keith, uh, you know, what happens to these people, this aboriginal kid who, you know, this adolescent who dies in the middle of nowhere has never heard the name of Jesus? What, what's your response? Yeah, well, you know what, depending on where, what point in my life you were to ask me that question, Joe, I'd probably give you three different answers. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. You know, I was, I was raised Southern Baptist, and I uh, was licensed and ordained Southern Baptist, and for most of my, you know, Christian life, and certainly my ministry, um, I taught that I believed in eternal torment, because uh, mainly because no one ever taught me anything else. I mean, I was never told there was any other option. Um, and so, you know, I, people smarter than me, um, older than me, with more experience than me, more degrees than me, they're the ones who told me, well, no, the Bible does say this. So I just said, okay. And so it wasn't, you know, it took me several years. Uh, and I didn't feel good about it, kind of like you. I thought, well, that sounds really harsh. And and so you do a lot of gymnastics, you know, like, well, the, yeah, God doesn't do it. They, they send themselves. Yeah, they choose to go there. Yeah, things like that. Because it just softens it a little bit, but it still just doesn't feel good. It feels like, man, especially when you attend the funeral of someone you know and love, and maybe they didn't pray that prayer. But you know otherwise, they were just a wonderful person. And, um, you know, like your grandfather or your grandmother or just someone who's a good friend who didn't identify as a Christian. And, and then, you know, then it's kind of like, well, I don't know if I can accept that. So, yeah, I, I eventually, what really helped me was recognizing someone finally just told me. In fact, it was my friend, a guy I know named Steve Gregg. He's got a radio program um, called The Narrow Path. And uh, he, has some, he has some pretty radical ideas. So I was listening to his show. And uh, he just blew my mind <clears throat> and, and said, you know, that there's always been historically three Christian views of hell, pretty much from the beginning. And all three of these views were based on scriptural support. And, um, well, I didn't know that. I didn't know there were always, that there were two other views that were held by Christians. And then the more I studied that, the more I started to look, well, what were those views and where they come from? How did they base, what scripture did these other two views base their ideas on? Well, then I found out that um, the, uh, for like 500 years of church history, the majority of Christians held to the view of universal reconciliation. And eternal mm -hmm. torment was actually a minority view. And that totally blew my mind. So yeah. sometimes it's just, you know, if you dig a little bit, you search a little bit, especially you look at church history and things like that, you suddenly discover that some of the things you were told aren't exactly, aren't exactly true. Sure. And I've, uh, you know, I've grown so much and learned so much since I was really delivered from the chains of a believed to belong culture. Because when I pastored churches for years or traveled or was, you know, affiliated with certain denominations and such, uh, you know, there's questions that were just taboo. If you dared to ask such a thing, you know, or to question the, uh, you know, the, 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 definitive, authoritative, uh, you know, <laughs> response from the, from the experts, I mean, you're basically excommunicated. I mean, you're, yeah. you're a persona non grata. And uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm glad that there is, and it's sad that there's not room for people to think and to really ask questions 
and, uh, and, and really to come from a perspective of God as our Father, and then even looking at ourselves and saying, you know, I mean, I am certainly not better than God who is love, or, you know, and, 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 you know, and Jesus is the Father's perfect selfie. No one yes. else can lay claim to that. And uh, so let, let's just talk about these things a little bit. Uh, you, know, you know, it bothers me that plenty of professing Christians would find no need for Jesus if the possibility of eternal conscious torment weren't factored into their equation. I mean, it's like, you know, would your spouse and children uh, be worth loving and doing life with if you didn't believe they'd torture you forever if you didn't love them back? I, I think that's, you know, that's a legitimate question. Yes. <laughs> yes, they, yes, yes, they would, you know. Yes. How much more Jesus Christ, you know, the incarnation of love, Mr. Perfect, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so, yes, he is worth doing life with. And, uh, you know, before we go any further with this, I, I can tell you, and I've spoken with Keith before, and, and you know, this is, this is so important. We're not trying to ram anything down anybody's throat or to right. push a view on you, but you know what? You had permission to think. God made you to think and to be able to reason. And, uh, you know, the things that we are reasoning are not contrary to the scripture that we're sharing. Uh, they're in harmony with it, but not in harmony with certain interpretations and understandings and, uh, you know, and, and, <laughs> and, and the status quo of, uh, of today and, and the presumed norm that is in, you know, so many uh, in the Western evangelical mindset. So, yeah, uh, I have a, an interesting other question for you here. Okay. And the Eastern and Western mindsets are very different on this, I found. And, and here's the question. Is sin a crime to be punished or a disease that needs to be healed? That is a wonderful question, Joe, and you're exactly right. I think um, that's kind of part of the reason why I think we're conditioned in the West to answer the question a certain way and to even think of um, the need for an eternal hell in a certain way is because we are conditioned, we are told and taught from, from the pulpit the idea that sin is a, you know, a crime that we have committed that we must be punished for, we must do the time, you know, we must meet the punishment for justice to be served. But, um, and so if you, if you look at it that way, then, then it makes sense. Well, you have committed the ultimate crime. You have, you, have um, you know, insulted the most holy being in the universe, which is God, and, um, and for that crime, you must suffer an eternal, you know, the greatest punishment. But scripturally and historically, um, what we see is that sin is quite often, Old Testament and New Testament alike, uh, sin is considered to be a disease, uh, a sickness that we must be healed from. Mm -hmm. And so if you see sin as a, as a sickness, as something you must be healed from, then it doesn't make any sense, like as you were saying, you know, my kids, if, if, my, if my kids were little, I have two boys, you know, when they were young, if they got the flu or the mumps, would it be appropriate for me to just paddle them and beat them until they got better? Well, no, of course not. That's not what you do when your child is sick. You don't punish them until they get better because <laughs> that's not, that's not going to solve the problem. And so, right, it's a, it's a great question. If we see our sin as something that we need to be healed from, um, then 
burning me forever won't solve that problem, right? So that's why the early Christians um, who took a view of eternal, of, of um, universal reconciliation um, mm -hmm. saw this problem in a different way and saw some, a different solution, a better solution, right? Yes, yes. Uh, you know, now would be a good time if you want to talk about those three different views of what we call hell. And, yeah. and I'll add that I, there, you know, I look at the words Sheol, Gehenna, Hades, Tartarus, and there, there's no way that I can, I see that, uh, that these words should automatically be interpreted as eternal conscious torment without question. Right. No, totally agree with you. Yeah, so just, just for the case, and as you said, you know, a second ago, this conversation is not meant to necessarily convince anybody we're right, but, but we really do want to give you information so that you can look into it yourself. And we just want you to think about these things, right? So for the, for the purpose of your edification and information, education, um, it's, you, you know, it's important to know that um, from the very earliest times in the church history, first 500 years of church history, there were three Christian views. So what were they? So the, one of those views was, we know what it is, eternal conscious torment. That's the view most of us grew up with and we're very familiar with. Um, the second view is annihilation, which is then in that view, it means that uh, anyone who dies apart from Christ uh, is punished appropriately for whatever their sin was, and then they are extinguished. They cease to exist. They are annihilated. Um, and then the third view, which again, in early church history, the majority of Christians held to this view, is the view of universal reconciliation. And in this view, I have to be, I have to clarify, um, it doesn't mean if you believe in, in universal reconciliation as the early church fathers believed it, it doesn't mean you believe that if anyone dies, they automatically go, you know, express tickets straight to paradise, yay, party time, it's great, you know, no, no, ali, ali, oxen free. Uh, it's mm -hmm. actually the opposite, because of those three views, universal reconciliation is the only view that says that everyone passes through the fire. Everyone will, and, and that's kind of like sort of, the, that's what's, you know, metaphorically the judgment seat of Christ. So everyone mm -hmm. uh, who dies, Billy Graham, Mother Teresa, me, you, Jeffrey Dahmer, Martin Luther King Jr., good, bad, indifferent, every human being who dies will pass through the fire. But see, now here's the difference. All three views include the idea of some kind of a fire. Um, the difference is, you know, the, the, the major differences are, what, what is the nature and purpose and maybe the duration of that fire? So mm -hmm. eternal torment says the purpose of the fire is torture and that's, that's it, just to torture you forever. And the duration is eternal. Annihilation says the purpose of the fire is punitive, but once it's accomplished, whatever is necessary to properly punish you for whatever your sins were, it's over and you are, it's, it's done. And so the duration is as long as it takes. Um, and in universal reconciliation, the, the question is, you know, the, the answer to the question is the purpose of the fire is to purify, to make us, to, to burn away anything in us that isn't of Christ and to reveal, um, you know, the goodness of God in us or to reveal Christ in us. And then the duration again would sort of be as long as it takes to, for that to be accomplished. And so the duration is not really as important. Uh, it's sort of like more about the purpose of it, the function of it. And there's all sorts of scriptures uh, in the New Testament that support that that is what happens. You know, that is God's intention to make all things new. And that would include all of us. 
Yes, and there's also nuanced views within those three right. schools of thought, like you know, hopeful inclusion, <laughs> inclusionism, you know, um, and 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 other, you know, just just other nuanced understandings of it. But but right. those three are very, I say, very interesting to uh, to look at and to study. Um, I want to talk about something here from uh, Matthew 24:14. I I know how I look at this, and I consider myself I could be labeled a partial preterist among other things, but uh, Matthew 24, 14 says, and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then the end shall come. Okay, now I believe that is the end of uh, <laughs> the old covenant, uh, the, the Jerusalem as they knew it, the temple, the priesthood, the sacrifices, the ordinances, all of those things. It was the end of that. And, and I also believe that uh, when he talks about preaching in all the world, that word meant the land specifically in the first century. They understood that as being the realm and scope of the Roman Empire. So, so the idea to me, you know, and, and it's, it's, so, it's so misunderstood and already fulfilled Paul said, you know, several times that this gospel has been preached in all the known world or in every nation under heaven to all people, all the ethnos, all the ethno ethnic groups there. Um, you know, so the idea of looking forward to boasting one day that, you know, untold billions, you know, are suffering an eternal conscious torment, but we finally, you know, we finally got our little risk piece on this, you know, on this game, this evangelical game of risk. We finally conquered the last, you know, the last territory, the final frontier. We've boldly gone where no man has gone before. <laughs> and everyone else who never heard, you know, the gospel, you know, is burning an eternal conscious torment. And and first of all, too, and, and I'm, I'm going to talk a little bit here before I <laughs> But, you know, the question is always, you know, I, what I ask is, what is the gospel? What is uh, euangelion? What was, did Paul get beheaded? Did Peter get crucified upside down? for telling people how to go to heaven after they die? Uh, were they telling people, you know, hey, were they asking, uh, you know, if you were, if you leave, you know, our assembly right now and are run over by a chariot, do you know where you'll go? <laughs> uh, that, that wasn't a god. Euangelion was really, it was a first century term that, we, that the Romans used and that any first century Jew, in, you know, in, in Jerusalem, Judea, in that area would have understood and it pertained, uh, if I'm correct about this in my studies, it per pertained directly to Caesar. It was a newsflash for basically three main things. The birth of a Caesar, uh, when Caesar would defeat his enemies, okay, and a regime change where there was a new successor, a new Caesar. So the gospel really, as I read it, that Paul preached was Jesus is king, Caesar is not, regardless of who uh, empire may, uh, may represent throughout the ages. Jesus is king. He was born in Bethlehem in a manger. He is God incarnate. He defeated his enemies <laughs> at the cross, okay? And there's been a regime change. He's king. He's Lord, but he runs his kingdom in a different way. It's an upside-down kingdom, and that kingdom lifestyle, you know if somebody's living it if you just look at the Beatitudes and see how things line up, if they're walking in union with Mr. Beautiful, who now indwells them, with their king, who's not a king of violence, not a king who you know, encourages you to take up the sword or to win things by politics, 
sound like I'm preaching Jesus Untangled a little bit. That's what <laughs> That's one of Keith's books that I so love, and that's another topic of discussion. But to me, that's you know because, because again, there were no uh, you know <laughs> there were no uh, no altar calls, no sinners' prayer, no anything like that. And I don't you know I don't see Jesus doing anything like that. People just just looked unto him, and he he received them. He forgave people before they even asked for forgiveness. Yes. <laughs> you know? um, and, and so, and, and you know, so I look at that, and I look at scriptures like you know, God was in Christ reconciling the entire cosmos unto Himself. And we'll talk a little bit more um, about those scriptures. But uh, but what is what is your take on that? Well, I agree with you on all those things, Joe. I totally do. Like, um, it was a huge shock for me. Again, I started off Southern Baptist and licensed and ordained Southern Baptist. And not only did I not understand hell, the doctrine of hell, I didn't even know what the gospel was. I mean, uh, it, it took a conversation that happened almost 10 years later uh, for me to have a the sort of the, the epiphany, the paradigm shift that the gospel wasn't about saying a prayer so I can go to heaven when I die. And that it actually was like you said, what Jesus said. Jesus, look, <laughs> these are Christians are so confused about, it. and I get it, I was too, but but if you're if you don't know what the gospel is, or let's put it another way, if you think the gospel doesn't show up in the New Testament until First Corinthians like fifteen or something, uh, and and it comes out of the mouth of Paul, you don't mm -hmm. know what the gospel is. Mm -hmm. Go to the gospels; it's so as simple. Go go to one. You know, we have these books in your New Testament called the Gospels: Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And uh, go to the mouth of Jesus. Jesus will tell you what the good news is. The, the gospel, that's what it means. Gospel means good news. And Jesus proclaims good news, the good news of the kingdom, which is what you just said. The kingdom is here now. It's, you don't, it's not something you, you have to wait until after you're dead to yes. step into. In fact, that's the opposite. He says, no, you, you can enter into the kingdom of God, the, the rule and reign of God in your life, today right now it's within you it's not over there over here it's not coming soon it's here now and you he told the pharisees he said the kingdom of god doesn't come with the observation but the kingdom of god is in you these yes. unbelieving pharisees who hated him yes exactly so it's this it is a paradigm shift so it's this idea that jesus is king christ is king and caesar isn't and that yes. means you know like if caesar's king you're going to live a certain way if you believe if you're submitted to the concept that Caesar is king. You know, there's certain laws and rules and customs and things you have to follow to live in the Roman Empire. But if you shifted from that to the kingdom of Christ, well, now there's new rules and new practices and new things to do and new, again, like you said, it's upside down from that other world we were born into. It's a yeah. completely different kingdom with very different values where you turn the other cheek, you love your enemy, you bless those who curse you, you do good to those who hate you, right? Um, and all that. And you're transformed from within yourself. You become a new creature. And this is a love revolution, really. Yes, and it's a transformation. It's a complete transformation of you. So you mentioned like regime change, right? Yeah. The Jewish people were looking for a Messiah, but then they were looking for a Messiah who would violently lead a regime change in Jerusalem so that there would be a Jewish king over Jerusalem. That's what they were searching for. Jesus shows up and, and offers them a regime change, but it's a regime change in their heart. And in, in the kingdom of your heart, Jesus says, make me the king. Come and follow me. Humble yourself, submit yourself, die to yourself. Let me be the king of your life, of your heart and mind. And mm -hmm. th in that way, there's a regime change in your life. And then you will experience this transformational kingdom life. That, and, and by the way, it's also not 
that Jesus has a certain message and Paul has a different one. And I really, I really have, want to correct this because I, as I've had these conversations, I, I get people who are very confused about this gospel. They think Paul had a different gospel uh-huh. somehow than, than Jesus did. And what I did a study, you can do this too. Go to BibleGateway.com, search, search the phrase gospel of the kingdom or good mm-hmm. news of the kingdom and look in the New Testament for, for references. And you'll see Jesus, that's all he talks about pretty much. Even after the resurrection, he keeps talking about the gospel of the kingdom. Mm-hmm. But then go and look at, at Paul. There's at least eight, there might be nine, but I think, I'm pretty sure there's eight different places where Paul himself says that he went around preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Mm-hmm. So that's the same gospel Jesus preached. It's not different. And so, in, and your clue is this. When Paul says things like, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, mm-hmm. you can't, so it's not just a magic word. It's not saying the magic words, Jesus is Lord. No, no, no. Paul gets it. He understands what, what would save you is for you to tell the truth that you have made that regime change. And for you now, Jesus is Lord. Mm-hmm. And if that is true, that's the fulfillment of the gospel of the kingdom in your life. Therefore, you are, you are proclaiming you have received the gospel of the kingdom and you have made Christ king in your life. And now you could, you could confess he is Lord. And it's you true, already, right? You already belong and you're invited to participate in, in your belonging, yes. in your acceptance. Yes, exactly. His love, yes. Yes, and that, is, that was such a paradigm shift for me, Joe. I mean, it rocked my world when I, when I, I mean, I just remember the next morning, well, I didn't even finish sleeping that night. I got up at like three o'clock in the morning, the next morning, and I, everybody else was asleep and I just went in the living room and got on my knees uh, next to the mm-hmm. sofa and just repented and said, you know, God, I'm sorry. I, all this time I've been trying to follow you without my cross. I, well, mm-hmm. truthfully, I wasn't even trying to follow. I was just believing, right? Um, mm-hmm. But I wasn't even thinking about putting the teachings of Jesus into practice. And, um, and so that was a massive shift for me. Like that, that really changed everything for me. Uh, and really, I think, helped open my eyes down the road for many other things that I recognized I was not seeing the right way. Yes. I, you know, I also believe, and this may be controversial as well, but I believe the, the entire cosmos was born again in Christ when he was raised from the dead and ascended. And I, yeah. I believe the entire creation participates in that, but there is an awakening. There is an awakening. We're already included in that. Yes. But the awakening, the awakening causes us to participate in this. We're, we're not orphans. We, we belong. You yes. know, we are, we are already in the family. <laughs> um, yes. I, I think that's, that's so important to, to, um, to at least allow the Lord to wrap our heart around that. Yeah. No, I, and thank you for saying that, Joe. That, and see, that is what I discovered as I was studying, you know, these three views of, of the afterlife of hell. And you, I came across these early church fathers who just had these amazing quotes and they're saying, tell what you're saying, that, um, the idea, and Paul, Paul alludes to this several times, where Paul will talk about in the same way that Adam was, you know, we all sinned in Adam, or we, all of humanity was, was condemned or whatever in Adam. In the same way, all humanity is now restored and transformed and renewed and made new in Christ. Mm-hmm. And it is, it's like, a, like it or not, <laughs> you are. And so, in other words, the incarnation, when God takes on human flesh, 
that in itself becomes sort of like the, uh, the carrier, the, the body of Christ sort of becomes the carrier of the, um, of the Godhood, the Godhead, mm -hmm. into humanity. And by him entering into our humanity, it's like this little seed or this little bit of yeast that starts to infect the entire lump of dough. Mm -hmm. and, um, and, and then even more so, the idea that, that God, right, in Philippians 2, it says, you know, that Jesus didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. He, he emptied himself. He became nothing. He took on the form of a servant, a slave, a, hu a human being. He took on flesh. And so that's one part of it. But then when he died, see, that's when the seed gets planted into the, into the ground. And spiritually, Jesus mm -hmm. says, right, unless this kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it can't bear fruit. So when Jesus dies, imagine, you know, the, the, the eternal creator of the universe experiences mm -hmm. death in, in the body of Christ. But then he, he descends into hell, Hades, death, whatever you want to call that. And mm -hmm. it's like a burst of light, you know, hits this, the, the ultimate dark place where all these souls mm -hmm. are being enslaved. He preaches the good news to them. They're all like set free. The gates are flown wide. They're all carried off right into the presence of God. That's yeah. really the picture of what Jesus accomplishes and yeah. for us. And, and a lot of the early church fathers, that is exactly what they believe happened. And so, you know, one of the, one of the things we need to do in, in preaching the good news, you alluded to this verse a second ago, the one in Second Corinthians where Paul says that God was in Christ, not counting our sins against us, mm -hmm. but reconciling the world to himself. That work is done. We are forgiven. Our sins are already forgiven. Done. And yeah. we are reconciled. The world is reconciled to God. And then he says, we've been given that ministry of reconciliation. Yeah. Not that we need to make the reconciliation. We need yeah. to be messengers, ambassadors of it. Let people know. Spread the word. There is nothing between you and God. There's nothing standing between you and God. He loves you. You're welcome. You're accepted. Yes. He loves you no matter what. And whenever you're ready, you can know him and, and begin this relationship with him. And even if you don't, let's say you reject it for whatever reason. Oh, okay. I mean, that's your choice. But one day you will see him face to face, as Paul says, mm -hmm. every knee will bow and every tongue will gladly, it does say this in the Greek, mm -hmm. every tongue will gladly confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And, and, that, and that will be an honest expression that Jesus is Lord. And Paul mm -hmm. also says, anyone that confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord will be saved. <laughs> so yeah. either now or later, it's inevitable. God is, God is intending that none should be lost, that all will be made new in Christ's kingdom. Yeah, you know, I, I'm troubled by the very idea that, uh, you know, that by the first man, the entire creation can be corrupted. <laughs> but by this last Adam, you know, like, that, that, like Adam is more powerful than Jesus, but right. the last Adam isn't able to reconcile everyone. Right. You know? I mean, Adam's ability to infect us was greater than Jesus' ability to heal us is, is really the message, you know, that, that is preached in so many circles. And I find that uh, I find that disturbing uh, from a Christocentric position. <laughs> yes, well, you know, and, and see, that is the kind of thing where, you know, it, it does beg the question, right? Like, 
Why does John the Baptist point to Jesus and say, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, if he didn't really take away the sins mm -hmm. of the world? Uh, or or how, do you, how do you proclaim, as the apostles do, that Jesus is the Savior of the world if he's actually not able to save the world? He can't. Like, mm -hmm. the title doesn't seem appropriate. <laughs> um, yeah. but, but, if we, but if he really is, if he really is the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world, right? As, as God says, I remember them no more. As far as he's from the West, like, you know, they're gone, they're erased, they're forgotten, uh, cast them into the sea. Like, you know, that's, that, that really is the message. I mean, when we read the Gospels, we, we talk about, we look at what Jesus does, he just automatically forgives, right? We see mm -hmm. him forgive all the time. Even like you said, people don't even ask for forgiveness. He just automatically, your sins are forgiven. And then he finds out what they want. But first, he's already yeah. just forgiving their sins automatically. And, he, and yeah. Jesus says, I only do what I see the Father doing. Where did Jesus learn how to just forgive automatically? Well, it must be because he saw the Father doing that too. That's what the Father does too, right? He yes. does forgive. That's, that's the way he responds to sin. Yes. And when you talk about, you were talking about 2 Corinthians 5, where, um, you know, he's given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Some people get a little messed up because Paul, in that passage, says, be ye reconciled to God. You be reconciled. And I, I view reconciliation as it's an accounting term. Paul's already letting them know you're way in the black. Okay, yeah. he who spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? You are blessed. You are highly favored. You are chosen in him before the foundation of the world. God was in Christ reconciling the entire cosmos to himself. Now, let your mind be renewed. Be reconciled. Yes. Okay? Walk in the black, okay? Don't be like the, the proverbial guy who's on the cruise ship and has an all-inclusive ticket but stays in his cabin, uh, you know, eating crackers <laughs> yes. and, and, and begging for water, okay? This is an all-inclusive package. You're, you're in. You, you've, been, you've been counted worthy, okay, uh, before you were ever created. You were loved. You were valued. You were accepted, okay? God does not create junk, and he loves all of his children. So yeah. Paul's letting him know. He says, you're already reconciled. God has already done this in Christ. Now let this be a reality in your life. Begin to participate. Get out of that, uh, that cabin. Quit eating those just, you know, stale crackers <laughs> and begging for water. Enjoy the Christ life that's already yours. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yeah, and you know, I, I think you and I talked about this last time that, um, um, you know, there's, because there's this idea, there's this very popular idea that, you know, it's only in this mortal life that we have this, the clock is ticking and we, uh, you know, uh, we have to make a decision one way or the other, because once you're dead, it's over, right? Mm -hmm. God's grace is only for this life, but once, yeah, once you die, then that's it. It's just too bad. You're, you're, you're locked in, locked in whatever decision you made. But, um, and I think you, you pointed this out that, um, you know, it talks about in Romans, Paul says that, talks about the love of God, right? This amazing love of God that we have in Christ Jesus. And he says, he lists all these things that are incapable of separating us from the love of God. And, yes. and out of that amazing list, one of the most significant ones that he lists is death. He lists it first, too, if I'm correct. <laughs> yes, death cannot separate you from the love of God. Yeah. And then, so then it also goes back to like, um, you know, even in the Old Testament, it says that it says, you know, God's anger is for a moment, 
like a just a mm -hmm. just a like a little flash but his love endures forever but if eternal torment is true it's the opposite because mm -hmm. that means that in this life which compared to eternity is just a blip right that means in this life his his uh, love is just a moment but his wrath lasts forever mm -hmm. but that's the you know again that's an inversion of what it actually says like that's not who god is god is someone who is anger it's over but his mm -hmm. love lasts for eternity and again even death cannot stop it yes yes you know it blew my mind when i found out and this is just recently that the early <laughs> moravians were universalists <laughs> count zinzendorf <laughs> all the prayer that they did and the and the you know the the missions were and they wanted people to know about this wonderful jesus they wanted them to be able to participate in his everlasting life that just you know that we that we can participate in now the kingdom yes. is now the kingdom is righteousness peace and joy in the holy spirit you know and and you know i find that wonderful that is so against the grain of things that i was taught in church history and you know and theologically so you know it is wonderful to think outside the box and then to see that the church fathers thought outside the box and then to t examine the scriptures a little further and say, you know, Jesus and the apostles thought outside of this yes. box. And Jesus is the very personification of so many things outside of this little box that I, you know, of things I have to believe in order to belong. So right. it's, it's great not to have to jump through hoops and, uh, you know, and, and check boxes anymore. And, you know, and, you know, I really believe there's a generation that's coming up, young people, you better be ready for their questions. Yeah. You know, they are going to ask these questions, and I believe that it's innately in them. Eternity within them is crying out for these questions. Someone to articulate the answer and the right answer that resonates with what the Holy Spirit is bearing witness with in all the earth. You yes. know, not just not just something that we have arrogantly uh, determined is truth. This is our truth. And there's, you know, and there's, a, and there's no alternative to it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, I, I hope you're right about that, Joe. I really do. I, I, um, I mean, I, we already see a lot of young people leaving the church and rejecting sort of this fear-based monster God, angry God kind of theology. Um, and I think that's right. They should. That's right. That's not a God worth following. That's not a God worth believing in. And it's not the God that Jesus reveals to us. It's not the God that's revealed in Christ to us, right? This Abba Father who, who loves to this insane degree, his radical love, incredible mercy, unending for, yeah. for us. And, um, and I think, yeah, that's, that is the good news. I mean, if you go and look at, you know, I think there's something like eight or nine um, evangelistic sermons preached in the, in the gospel, I'm sorry, in, in the book of Acts. And none mm -hmm. of them include this threat of hellfire or eternal torment. Again, if this is what if this is what the gospel is 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 all about, why don't they ever mention that? But mm -hmm. they don't. And see, that's the thing. I wish that those guys who stand out there with the megaphones, you know, and those big signs and everything, um, those street preacher guys, man, if one of those guys would just preach what Paul preached when he spoke to the idol worshiping pagans in Athens, he stands mm -hmm. up and he says, "God is your father, and he loves you, and he wants you to know who he is." And he's revealed himself in this person of Jesus. Like, yes, that, yes, that's beautiful. Go with that. Why can't we preach that? Why, why was that appropriate for Paul to preach to these idol-worshipping pagans 
in Athens, but we can't preach it to Americans today or just the average person today. It's the gospel. It is the message that people need to hear. That God you is good. You've always he lived and moved and had your being. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. The God, yeah, the God, this God I'm talking about is the one in whom you live and move and have your being. You're already in Christ right now, yeah. like it or not. You're in him already. Yeah. Yeah. How do you get, yeah, how do you get in the in Christ realm? We're seated in heavenly places in Christ. It wasn't my special password or my prayer. It was an awakening that I've already been included in the finished work of Christ. Okay, yeah. so. I mean, technically, I was born again over 2,000 years ago, and we can go further back than that because Jesus is the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. So this yeah. is this is this is all some some really beautiful stuff, and this is like I said, this is this is gospel language right here. Um, talk to me a little bit about this, and I, I find this intriguing. I've not done a lot of study on this, uh, admittedly, but. Um, as far as hell being a means of religious, political, and social control throughout history. Yeah, that is uh, one of the sad things when I was doing research for uh, Jesus Undefeated, um, about which is my book about this topic. Um, I came across some, some of the early church fathers, Origen, John Chrysostom, some guys like that, um, who, who, who had kind of admitted that they personally believed that um, everyone was in Christ and that everyone, you know, they believed in universal reconciliation. They did mm -hmm. believe that that's what Jesus taught and what Paul taught. And so they embraced that view privately, personally, but they were frustrated that the more they preached that message, it, it felt like people didn't take it seriously. Um, and then, and so they just flat out said, um, you know, it, it's, uh, it's easier to basically to control Christians, to, to get people to show up and jump to the right hoops and you know, do what we want them to do uh, if we threaten them with this fear of eternal damnation. And so they saw it, unfortunately, as a tool to motivate people. And so uh, the problem with that is, yeah, it, it does work. I mean, I guess on one level, but like you were saying a minute ago, um, it is sort of like holding a gun to somebody's head and saying, you know, be a Christian or else, love God or else. Is that really love though, right? Like you were saying, I think yeah. this is why, by the way, so many Christians today get so defensive when we suggest that there are other views of hell than eternal torment. It's because mm -hmm. a lot of those Christians we're talking to, that's how they came into the Christian faith. They, the reason they are Christians is that they were, they were held, you know, the gun was held to their head. You know, raise your mm -hmm. hand if you don't want to burn in hell forever. Oh, I see that hand. Okay, repeat this prayer after me, which doesn't appear anywhere in the Bible. Amen. And now you're, quote, unquote, saved from hell, and that's why they're Christians. So if all of a sudden you're saying, well, you know, that's not the gospel, and, and that isn't the requirement, and, and actually, even if you didn't believe you wouldn't burn in hell forever, it suddenly mm -hmm. makes them feel like, well, wait a minute. Why am I here? And what, you know, what, what's this all about? And so, you know, I, I think that, that those things, like one thing leads to another. And then, then it also becomes like, also, then if you're a pastor— uh, you're nervous about that because, well, why are people going to come to church? Why are people going to tithe? Why are people going to read their Bible? If, if I don't have this threat, then, well, if you don't do Christian things, you might not make it to heaven. Um, and so it's sad that it's kind of been reduced to that kind of a lever 
or that kind of a you know stick basically to get people to be Christian, but they're just going through the motions. We're gonna be honest. If people that are responding to that threat, it's not a genuine thing for the most part. It's not genuinely from the heart. It's because they're fearful of you know God's gonna smack me or torture me, so I'm gonna go through these motions. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And that you know that gets right on to you know to the idea of people choosing hell. And if everyone, and it says, you know, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall gladly confess that Jesus Christ is, is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Yes. It's not like I heard the old-timey evangelist saying where Jesus <laughs> is screaming at somebody and telling them, do it, do it, you know, right. um, against their will. And I really can't picture, you know, w when I look at, and I, and I, you know, I look at Jesus preaching to Noah's generation, and we can get into that, that scripture in a little bit, and, you know, the, the, the people who had died even under the old covenant, Jesus preaches to them, leads captivity captive. I, I, I find that, that awesome. I, I just find Jesus to be irresistible. And I can't, I can't picture anyone given a final choice if there is a posthumous choice. And the Bible leads us to believe that there is. The church fathers certainly believe, many of them, uh, that, that, that there is. And I can't imagine seeing Jesus face to face and say, nah, you know what, I don't want him, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and what we're saying here is not, this is every, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall gladly confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father, glory of God the Father. We're not saying that, you know, that every knee shall bow, every tongue shall gladly confess that the flying spaghetti monster <laughs> or anybody else is Lord to the glory of the Father. This is a distinctly Christian view. Right. This is not just, you know, any and every name and whatever, okay? Right. Um, and I believe that, I don't, you know, I believe, like some have said, that Jesus meet regardless of what path you're on, Jesus meets you somewhere, even at the very end. Okay? Yes. He's there to meet you with, with open arms, okay? Yes. But it is Jesus and Jesus alone. So this isn't some sort of uh, you know you know just just whimsical craziness that is, that is outside <laughs> of uh, of the realm of Christ. This is distinctly Christian. We are yes. talking about Jesus and Jesus alone here. We love Jesus. We encourage yes. everyone to love Jesus and to have a, and to, to let him love you. Okay, and and out of that love, you can love him back with that same love and love your neighbor with that same love because you love yourself, because you see yourself as the image bearer of love, and you, you, know, you just want to walk in union with him. And, and yes. so, so that's the invitation. It's to Jesus. It's not, you know, who would want, you know, who would want to just do their own thing? And I found that people who believe in a God who is not cruel, okay, end up sinning a whole lot less. They're the ones who aren't sin conscious. They're the ones yeah. who everything isn't fear-based, okay? They don't have a grievance against this God, and, and they also don't believe, whether it's subliminally or whatever, you know, that they are created in the image of someone who is angry and wants to kill everybody that they want killed. <laughs> yes. yes. You tend to believe like that. If you, if you believe that you're created in the image of someone or something, uh, chances are your mindset is going to be to act like them, okay? Mm -hmm. That's like the people that grab the verse, you know, grab the scripture out of there. 
where Jesus was practicing his uh, herdsman skills, driving out animals and they make, you know, out of the temple, and, and they make it sound like Jesus was punching people in the face, and it was, you know, it was WrestleMania uh, AD 33, you know? And, and <laughs> that's not what it was at all. Right. Yeah, you know, when you were talking, you reminded me of this quote, and I had to look it up real quick. Um, <laughs> so I agree with you. Yes, what we're talking about is a Christ-centered uh, idea. So it is, it is Jesus-centric. Um, it reminds me of, C.S. Lewis has a great quote, and I think it's from The Last Battle, uh, which is the Chronicles of Narnia series. I don't know if you ever read those. Um, but there's a, there's a scene where there's a character who, um, so in the Chronicles of, Chronicles of Narnia, Aslan sort of stands for Christ, and uh, Tash in, the, in those novels, Tash is sort of the, you know, like Baal or something. He's, he's a, he's a non-good, non he's sort of an evil, you know, sketchy sort of a, a rival to Aslan. And um, so there's a, there's a character who he's, he's become incorporated. He's become related to associated. He knows who Aslan is now, but all of a sudden he recognizes that, oh my gosh, Aslan is real. Aslan is, is the true God, but all mm -hmm. my life I have followed Tash, who is this mm -hmm. false God. And it says, then I fell at, so I'm quoting, this is the character talking. And he says, then I fell at his feet. This is Aslan and uh -huh. thought, surely this is the hour of my death. For the lion, who is worthy of all honor, will know that I have served Tash all my days and not him. Nevertheless, it is better to see the lion and die than to be Tisrock of the world and live and not have seen him. But the wow. glorious one, this is Aslan, bent down his golden head and touched my forehead and his tongue with his tongue and said, Son, thou art welcome. But I said, Alas, Lord, I am no son of yours, but the servant of Tash. Mm. And he answered, Child, all the service you have done to Tash, I account as service done to me. Mm. And so it's, it goes on, but it's such a beautiful picture. It's like, yes. So in other words, you may not in this life have called the God you loved Christ. Mm -hmm. You may not have known the name Jesus, but God looks at the heart. He doesn't look at the outward appearance. And so when you meet Christ face to face, at the end of the life, the veil is removed and you see Christ in all of his beauty, all of his glory, all of his endless yeah. love and mercy and, and everything, just how glorious he is. You may not know the name Christ, mm -hmm. but that doesn't matter. <laughs> You're going to recognize, ah, yes, this is the glorious one, the, the, the true one I sought for my whole life. And maybe I called him another name, but he doesn't care. Yes. Right? He's responding the to what you responded to in your heart. When you, that's what you were being draw, drawn to. And, and so he honors that. And I believe that, right? And mm. I, David Bentley Hart in his book, he has an excellent book, um, That All Should Be Saved. And he kind of makes that point that you were making that, you know, we, right now we see through a glass darkly, even Christians, we don't clearly, clearly see um, everything about God and everything about Christ. I mean, we might see a little mm -hmm. clearer, but we don't see it 100% clear. And so everyone, one day, will that veil will be totally removed. We will see him as he is. Mm -hmm. and, and, and then once that veil is removed, again, it's like, you know, those who reject Christ in this life um, or reject God in this life, they're, re they're rejecting a version of him that isn't who he is. 
Yes. In fact, they're, ironically, they're probably rejecting a God who is hateful and angry and jealous and vengeful and wrathful and is going to burn them in hell forever. And that's what they reject. And, the, and yeah. when they find out that that's not who he is, mm -hmm. right, then they would, ah, you're not who I thought you were, right? You're better than I thought mm -hmm. you were. And Debbie, David Bentley Hart's point is that once we clearly can see that way, and we all will one day after we die, and the veil mm -hmm. is removed and we see him face to face, that no one, no being could truly reject ultimate love, ultimate acceptance, mm -hmm. ultimate, you know, mercy and, and grace. And mm -hmm. even if you could, even if for so, whatever reason you might decide, no, 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 I'm going to hold him off at arm's length. I think you're free to do so. But mm -hmm. how long would you resist that perfect love, amazing acceptance, incredible, the most amazing being in the universe that your whole, that your soul has been longing for your whole life? You know, a week, six months, a hundred thousand years, 10 billion years, take your time. But at some point, <laughs> you're going to say, what am I doing? Why am I resisting ultimate love, ultimate mercy, ultimate grace, ultimate forgiveness? Mm -hmm. why, why? Why am I resisting? Right? Yes. So I, I, again, it's not, we're not, it's not as if free will is impeded in any way. You have absolute freedom to do so. Mm -hmm. But I just don't think it doesn't make, it's not rational that anybody mm -hmm. would resist it once you could truly be in the presence of it. Yeah, you know, something I look at in the book of Revelation, and I see those who even even those who are tormented are tormented in the presence of love, day and night. And I see Paul saying that every man has to pass through the fire. Every person has to pass through the fire, and the you know the fire is going to burn up the wood, hay, and stubble. And then you know only what what that which is up there, you know, truest identity and is of Christ is going to uh, is going to survive that. You know, so, and I believe that there's the church fathers, many of them, uh, believe this as well. And I look at, you know, what's in, in the back of the book, whether people put it, in, you know, properly in, you know, chronological order or what. But in the back of the book, you've got this God who makes all things new and a new Jerusalem whose gates are never shut. And really cool things happening, looks <laughs> like, over the whole earth from this new Jerusalem. Can you yeah. speak to that a little bit? Oh, yeah. I mean, dude, this is actually one of my favorite parts, uh, you know, and this is probably the final piece in the puzzle for me personally. I was reading Brad Jerzak's book, Her Gates Will Not Be Shut, and he beautifully illustrated this for me in a way I'd never seen before. Um, yeah, so yeah, look at Revelation, whatever you think of that book, and I'm not a huge fan of it, but uh, I think if you understand it correctly, it can be really helpful. Uh, so yeah, you, this is how the Bible quote-unquote ends, is this new Jerusalem comes down from God uh, out of heaven, um, no gates on the city. It, 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 in other words, we need to pay attention. Notice the things that are emphasized. There are no gates. And, oh, there are gates, but they are never shut, okay? Never the shut. gates are never, ever, ever shut, number one. Number two, the nations, which, by the way, are identified in Revelation as the enemies of God. These are the people that resist God, reject God, hate God, go to war against Christ, the whole nine yards, right? These are, quote, unquote, sinners, and they are on the outside of the city, right? That They're outside. And on the inside would be us, all the people that love Jesus, and right, okay, we're inside. But it also emphasizes a few, a few more things. It emphasizes that from the Christ's throne, there flows a, uh, a river of living water. 
-hmm. and that it also emphasizes that on either side of this river of living water, there are trees whose leaves, it says, are for the healing of the nations. Where are the nations? Outside those gates, which are what? Never shut. Yeah. And then Jesus cries out with a loud voice, is anyone thirsty? Yes. Let him come and drink freely from the waters of life. And when those nations outside the city walls, yes. are they in the lake of fire? I don't know. Are they tormented? Are they thirsting? I bet they're thirsty. And then Jesus, they hear his voice saying, hey, are you thirsty? Come and drink freely. Come on in. Have a drink. Yes. And when they come on in, those gates that are never shut, and they come and kneel down and start drinking this living water from the throne of, of Christ, they might look up and see these leaves that will heal them. That's why they're, that's the only reason they exist, is to heal mm -hmm. these nations. Oh my gosh, when you see all of those pictures at the end, this is, this is what's happening in Revelation. It really, really challenges the idea that what God's intention is to just torture his enemies endlessly. Yeah. Like, honestly, I can just tell you right now, and I, I can say with absolute authority, the doctrine that God tortures his enemies eternally in torment is not in the Bible. It is just mm -hmm. not there. It's not in the Old Testament, not a word of it. And it's not even in the New Testament because those phrases that Jesus uses that people tell you, oh, that's about hell. Nope, he's quoting the Old Testament, which by the way, I just told you, doesn't mention eternal torment. He's not mm -hmm. talking about what happens to you after you die. It's, it's something called apocalyptic hyperbole and it has a completely different context. And so anyway, that's what I try to show in the book. But yeah, that, when you see what's going on in Revelation, you see that this is how it, quote unquote, the story ends. It's a beautiful picture of un, unbelievable mercy and grace to yeah. the enemies of God. And it's forever. It's eternal. The doors are open anytime. Yes. I, I just see it as an indictment against the Roman Empire, every empire. Yes. And a sign that, uh, you know, these, the political systems and the systems of, of man and the, the systems of evil do not prevail. And I believe he was letting the seven churches know that they are, you know, that evil will not prevail. And at that time, hold on, you're going to go through some stuff, but I have already overcome all of this and, and the best is yet to come. I make all things new. And again, you know, this new Jerusalem, her days, which came down, John saw coming down, uh, you know, from heaven, from the invisible spirit realm to the, to the terrestrial realm. Yes. Her gates will never be shut. And I, I, just, I just love that. Um, I want to speak uh, real quickly for people who may not have uh, caught on to what we we're talking about. Um, you'll find in 1 Peter 3, 18 through 21, and then Ephesians 4, 7 through 10, you'll see where Jesus preaches to Noah's rebellious, uh, disobedient generation. And then the, the sister verse to that, if you will, in Ephesians 4, 7 through 10, talks about Jesus descending, okay, before he ascended and leading captivity captive. And uh, so, you know, Keith and I don't believe that, you know, Moses, you know, fell in the wilderness because of his disobedience. The children of Israel... Uh, their carcasses were bleached, so to speak, in the wilderness. We don't believe that they're all suffering eternal conscious torment, okay? Um, neither do we believe because, I mean, the Word gives us, shows us that even with all the violence and the corruption and everything else, you know, God, uh, God saved humanity 
and uh, you know, and Noah and his family got left behind, so to speak. That puts that on its turns that on its head, <laughs> yeah. the whole left behind thing. But out of that, it didn't mean that uh, that God had damned everyone. He knew in his foreknowledge, he has always met us. He's always met mankind where we are. He's never turned his back on us. And even after they screwed up so badly and the earth was so horrible that we even see where it appears that God expresses regret to, to, to communicate to us humans. He already knew it would happen. Sure. And even if there were regrets, he had already, you know, loved us and, uh, you know, and already provided himself, you know. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Uh, on the cross before the foundation of the world. So that's that's where we're coming from. And if, if you look at that, you, you uh, there is reason. And again, church fathers believe, and many, you know, Eastern Orthodox people, Anglican people. This is this may be new to Western evangelicals. This is not a new doctrine. This yeah. is ancient. Okay, the yeah. idea of eternal conscious torment is really. Uh, you know, <laughs> just like Darbyism and a bunch of other isms are, are really more popular in mainstream Western evangelicalism, and they never really uh, they never really caught in a lot of circles. You speak this to to some people out of you know mainstream Western evangelicalism, they're like, well, we never believed that to begin with, you know. So this this is not uh, you know some new doctrine by by any means, and uh, so this is. This is so exciting, Keith. I just, I love this. I love this. <laughs> yeah, neither Romans 8, 38 and 39, look those up. He said, I'm persuaded neither death nor life, nor angels, nor, princi nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And he's persuaded first and foremost that death will not separate us, okay? And that's when people preach the modern gospel, they tell you, the first thing they tell you is that death will separate you from the love of God, that it's only good in the here and now when you're in these mortal bodies. And we have uh, ample evidence uh, to believe otherwise and for good reason. You know, 1 Corinthians 15, 22, for an, as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Romans eleven thirty two. God has concluded them all in unbelief that he might have mercy upon all. That's yes. Jew and Gentile. This is this one new man that is reborn as the cosmos was reborn uh, <laughs> through the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we could go on and on. First Timothy 2, 3, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved to come to the knowledge of the truth. So I, 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 find, I find this so powerful. First John 2, 2, he is the propitiation, meaning the mercy seat for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Yeah. <laughs> Wow, the entire <laughs> cosmos, the whole kit and caboodle. Yeah. And I'd like you to speak to that a little bit, and especially this one scripture I want to bring up that we talked about previously, 1 Timothy 4.10, For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach, because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, man. See, this is the thing. It's like it's it's suddenly the recognition, the realization that these verses that are in the scriptures that I used to read when I thought the other way, I would read these verses and I would say I would kind of stop and go, well, that sounds like like, you know, everyone's going to. Well, no, it can't be that. No. And you just kind of move on because it can't. You've been told, no, it can't mean that. But it does say that. <laughs> and this idea that, yeah, God is the savior of all men, mm-hmm. but especially those who believe like, but he's the savior of all men. And unless yeah. he's the savior of all men, it can't be especially those that believe. And if and if it's and it's not only those that believe, it's especially those believe. But but nevertheless, all men, right? There's all those, these those who believe walk in that deliverance yes. as they've been saved. They're being saved, and they shall be saved. It's an ongoing deliverance from a false identity, from identifying yes. with Adam. And, and, and fully identifying, losing uh, our mindset of that identity in, in that first man and, and coming into uh, and understanding uh, the beauty of our identity in this last final Adam, who is Jesus, who has swallowed us up in his love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's that recognition that, wow, you know what? Maybe God is even better than we think he is. Maybe Jesus is even more marvelous and amazing and, and loving and graceful and kind and patient than, than we ever thought he was. And, mm-hmm. and I would say, yes, that is the truth. He is, right? His love really is higher, wider, longer, and deeper than you can imagine. It transcends knowledge. It really is. Nothing will ever separate you from, from the love of God that, that, that is for you in Christ Jesus. Nothing. Not, not, not death, not life, not, not angels or demons, nothing. And uh, it, it, that is his intention. That is, he, that is who he is. Um, it even says, you know, uh, you, I don't think you read this verse, but in Hebrews, you know, there's a really interesting passage uh, that kind of gives us this picture, this insight into the heart of the father. Like, mm. why does the father discipline his children, right? Mm. So in Hebrews 12, it starts in verse 6, but it goes through verse 11. And he says, you know, if you endure chastening, God deals with you as, as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without mm-hmm. chastening, of, all, of which all have become partakers, so it's very clear. Mm-hmm. All of us have. All of us have been disciplined. Um, see, you know, because if you haven't, then you're illegitimate and you're not sons. But, but he emphasizes, but all of us have. Mm-hmm. Um, and he says, um, you know, we have human fathers who correct us, and we pay them respect. Shall we much, shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the father of our spirits and live. He says, for they indeed for a few days, our earthly fathers chastened us as seemed best to them, but for our benefit that we may be partakers of his holiness, God disciplines us. So in other words, it's it's giving us this insight. Why does God discipline us? Because he just likes beating us. He enjoys torturing us and beating us and, and punishing. No, that's not his heart. So why does he discipline us? To destroy us? Like, I'm going to get you for what you did, and you're going to pay the ultimate price, and you're going to, I'm going to just beat you until you're dead. No, that's mm-hmm. not who he is. So we're getting this picture in Hebrews. Who is God? Who is the Father? Why would, we know why our, heaven, our earthly fathers discipline us, but why would our heavenly Father discipline us? Well, he says, it's so that it's for our good, it's for our profit, that we may become partakers of his holiness. And he, gives, he says, no discipline seems to be joyful at the time. It's painful. It's not, not comfortable, mm-hmm. right? Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness 
Mm -hmm. those who have been trained by it. Again, this is God's intention. This is his heart. Whatever yeah. he does, it's for our benefit. And it's for the purpose and intention of making sure that we can become partakers of his holiness. That's yes. why. That's the purpose of it. And so I can, and we can I, wrap our brains around that. We can understand this. Because ultimately, I think, again, yes, there's three views. But all three views are saying something ultimately also about who is God. Is God a torturer? Is God a, a destroyer? Or is mm -hmm. God a loving Heavenly Father who disciplines us because he loves us and he wants to make us partakers of his divine nature? Mm -hmm. I think scripture is pretty clear. If, those, if that's a multiple choice question, it should be really easy to get that one right. <laughs> who is the yeah. Father? He's a loving Father. He loves us and whatever he does, it's for our good. He's the perfect father, and I'll say he's, you know, exponentially better uh, father than, than I've been to my sons. Yeah. But if I love them dearly, and I have to tell you, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't uh, make them suffer eternal conscious torment for anything. No. For anything. Just like a mother on death row, with a child on death row. There's no way she wants to see him die, and there's no way, you know, you're going to convince her yeah. that her child, when it really comes down to it, that, that she, you know, that, 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 that child is going to suffer eternal conscious torment. It, it, you know, that is going to, to bother any, any parent. You yeah. Know, and I, see, I, yeah. Especially if, especially if it's within your power to restore them and rescue them and renew them and make mm -hmm. them new from the inside out, brand new again. If you had yes. the power to do that and you and you alone had the power to do such a thing of, if you were a God of love, absolutely. You would do that. Yeah, yeah. And again, these are questions we have to, uh, you know, ask ourselves, ask outside of the box. And, yeah. Uh, you know, something else that you, when you were talking about of Hebrews 12, about the discipline. Yes. That is one of my favorite chapters, because what does he also say in that chapter, in the context of it? You've already come to Mount Zion. Yes. <laughs> to the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, okay? Uh, you know, to the, to, 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 the, to the spirits, you know, of men made perfect. You're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses now, but when he's saying you're not acting like it, so things are happening in your life to align you with that. And a lot of what we're talking about is that that alignment comes so often. I, I've had, when there's been that kind of chastening, which is really child training in my life. Right. I've been hurt. From the, the biggest hurt that I had to suffer was being separated from the belief to belong crowd and everything that came with losing position, paycheck, prestige, and to go away from that in order to embrace what my heart was really the one who was tugging on my heart, you know, yeah. who was lifted up on the cross and, and you know, and, and dragged everybody, you know, yes. to himself. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, this one who's, who's, you know, who already dragged me and, you know, and, and loves me. His love just has a constant tug, but that tug has, there's some stretch marks, there's some growing pains, there's the, the, the new wineskin, whatever it is that you want to call it, the shedding off of the old and the things that come with it can be, uh, can be very painful, you know? Yeah. 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 But again, it's always for our good. It's not for the purpose of inflicting yeah. pain. 
Um, no. It's, it's, it's painful, but it's only painful because you're being made into something new. You're being trained and taught and, and uh, corrected, but it, always in a loving way and always for your good, always for, for something that yes. makes you more like Christ ultimately, right? And the person yeah. you, frankly, the person you want to be, you know, right? when, when yes. you fail, when you screw up and you make a mistake, right? You do the wrong thing, you say the wrong thing. You know, you kind of mm -hmm. go, man, why am I like, why? I wish I could be better than that. I wish I could rise above mm -hmm. those things. And, and, and Jesus says, no problem. I'm going to, we're going to get you there. It's going to happen, right? Yes. We're, we're going to walk through this. And that's the ultimate goal that all of us would be, uh, be the people we really want to be. We really hope we wish we could be. And he's going to make us into those people who are like him. That's a huge yeah. miracle. And I believe on that note too, that child training, uh, you know, has nothing to do with, uh, you know, with beating us to death or, uh, you know, or putting sickness on us, disease, uh, you know, uh, causing your washing machine to break or anything, <laughs> anything like that. He, he works all things to, you know, together for good in the midst of all of that. Yeah. But this is child training. And so something, Keith, that I've always, a lot of people, when they hear the, the what, what they've been trained to hear as far as the voice of the Lord being, is always a fearful, condemning thing. When the only thing, and correct me if I'm wrong, but that I can find in Scripture that the Holy Spirit is constantly saying, regardless of whether there is, you know, guiding us in a direction, giving us wisdom, or correcting us, the harmony in the background, the Holy Spirit only cries one thing, Abba, Father, Daddy, yeah. you belong, right? I belong, this one that I indwell belongs, there's this belonging in the midst of, of whatever is correcting us, whatever is, is setting us straight. N.T. Wright would say, whatever's putting everything to rights in our life, you know. Yes. <laughs> the Holy Spirit is, is constantly crying through us, uh, just, you know, Abba, Daddy, you yeah. belong, you're loved, you're, you're eternally cared for. Amen. Yeah. Yeah, amen. Yeah. That's beautiful. Well, um, you pray some more, I'll tell you what. Um, now, for, you know, anyone who has lasted this long without getting angry with us is really, or even if they have, um, we, we, we want you to know we love you so much. Um, yes. Keith, if anyone is, is listening and they're like, man, this is, I need to learn more about this. What kind of uh, reference materials would you, would you recommend for them to uh, study this further? And we can, I will at some point, anyone who wants, um, you can just uh, email jesusguyjoe at gmail.com. Be happy to send you uh, the notes that I have, these scriptures, some recommendations. But uh, yeah, so, so <laughs> what, do, what do you have to say about that, Keith? What, what do you recommend? Well, yeah, I mean, there's, the good news is there's a lot out there to recommend. Um, I mean, I have a book mm -hmm. that I would, I think I've tried to put together as much as I could, um, you know, to simplify this and walk people through it. Uh, give them an, an overview of all three of the views and historically and uh, scripture and all that. Uh, that book is called Jesus Undefeated, Condemning the False Doctrine of Eternal Torment. Um, it also has a lot of resources in that too. I have a course that I teach online um, every couple of months. So I'm doing it right now at this moment. Um, so it won't come up again for another two months because they've done every other, every, every other month. So that's an online course. It's a three-week course that I do through BeADisciple.com. So, and that's been great. People have been enjoying that. Um, sure. And, you know, yeah, if you wanted to follow me on Twitter, Facebook, or something like that, and, um, you know, I'm happy to ask, answer questions and interact like that if anybody needs to. Um, but then, you, you and I have already mentioned a lot of other great books, right? Brad Jerzak's book, Their Gates Will Not Be yeah. Shut. 
yeah. Steve Gregg has a book on hell, on the three views of hell. That's an excellent resource. Um, David Bentley Hart's book, That All Should Be Saved, is an excellent book. There's another book. Mm -hmm. It's an older book by a guy named um, J.W. Hansen. And I think it's called Universalism, the, the View of the Christian Church for the First 500 Years of Church History. It's an, a book from like the 1800s. Uh, that is a mm -hmm. great book. So there's all kinds of really great books on this yeah. subject if you wanted to, to dig in and study more. Yeah, and there's, um, there's some of the Brad Jerzak uh, references quite often. The, the, uh, Dare we hope that all men uh, be saved. Yes. That's Hans Urs von Balthasar. Um, you can find, you study, you know, Maximus the Confessor, Gregory of Nyssa, yep. uh, Athanasius of Alexandria, and, uh, and again, Keith's, Keith's book, <laughs> Jesus Undefeated. Uh, I tell you what, Keith and I, man, our relationship started in a, a really cool way, and we'll, hopefully we get to talk about that in the near future. Yeah. Um, when we discuss Jesus Untangled, uh, it's, just, it's just amazing uh, how the Lord really, really blessed me through Keith and through that book. So, uh, you know, without further ado, Keith, if you have any uh, closing remarks, um, I, just, I just, just want you to know I love you, appreciate you, brother, and appreciate uh, your time this evening. Oh, thank you so much, Joe. Yeah, I would just say, you know, again, thank you for bringing me on to talk about this very, very important topic. I think it is something that hopefully my, my goal would be to educate people. I want you to think. I want you to ask questions. Um, but I think ultimately <clears throat> the beautiful thing that I've experienced having abandoned eternal torment, um, embraced this idea of universal reconciliation, uh, you know what it's helped me to do? is to see other human beings as just other human beings. I can just see, rather than seeing people as lost and saved, Christian or non-Christian, um, I feel this kind of pressure that I've got to, now I've got to jump into salesman mode and pitch them on praying the, the sinner's prayer or they're going to burn to hell forever or something. It's like, instead I can back up and just see them the way God sees them. I see them as a brother or a sister in Christ. They are dearly loved of God. Um, that, you know, I can just relate to them as other human beings and I can just love them, you know, mm -hmm. just for who they are and appreciate them for who they are. It's really set me free to really enjoy uh, seeing Christ and other people and, and, and then helping them if they're curious, if they're interested, you know, I, I'm happy to tell them about this Jesus that is better than you think. And knowing Jesus is, is reward enough. It's a reward in itself to know Jesus and have a connection with him and a relationship with him. Um, not out of fear, not out of punishment or like any, anything like that. You know, Jesus always bases it on love. He always says, you know, if you love me, you'll do these things that I ask you. So our obedience is never based on the threat. It's never based on I should, or I'm afraid, or I better, or else. It's always based on love. And if we can really, I think for me, moving from eternal torment over to universal reconciliation, it really has set me free to really love people and to love God in ways I never could before. Yeah, the, the message of Western evangelicalism is basically to uh, you know, allow Jesus into your life. <laughs> but the gospel, the gospel just screams that he has already accepted us into his. And now, yes. now we can participate. And I, I find that to be beautiful. Thanks again, Keith, for being with us. Uh, thanks to all our listeners, viewers. We love you so much. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. Thank you.
Thanks so much for being with us today. If you are enjoying this podcast, please subscribe and share with family, friends, and those who have yet to discover their awesomeness and yours. You can also check us out at thejesusconversation.org. And remember, no cows were harmed during the recording of this episode.